Before we pray, I, I just want to say I'm not really sure how I feel about this sermon today. <laughs> um, there's there's a, a lot there's a lot in it, and uh, a lot of it hits uh, really close to home and things that God has uh, bringing me through the last few years and last few months. I feel like as I've read through it this morning, some of it feels kind of heavy, um, but I think in a really necessary way for us. Um, I think there's going to be some things that I say today that some people aren't just going to understand, and that's okay. If you don't understand, please ask that God would show you what's true about uh, this word for you in your life. But I I don't know. I just feel like I needed to make some of those caveats today. Um, God's going to work. This is an important and Necessary and, and kind of heavy topic about the importance of healing and, and self-examination. Uh, that's the, the next part of our, our series here as we're talking about who we are as a church. We are a healing community, uh, but part of the healing that God does is not simply by sending Christians into the world to do things for people, uh, but one of the, the first and most important works that God does in any of us is a healing work right here. And uh, so we're going to be talking about that today and how to begin, at least begin that journey, or if you've already taken that journey or on that journey, uh, how to, to go deeper into it. So would you, with those caveats in mind, would you pray with me and also please in your heart be praying for me as I communicate God's word to us today. Father, we, we thank you that, uh, that you want to do a deep work of healing uh, in our souls that you want to meet us in the deep and dark places of, of our hearts, in places of, of shame, uh, places of guilt, places of, of sin, places where we've been wounded by others or where we have wounded others. And so, Lord, we pray that we would meet you in a very real way today through your word. Amen. The Bible tells us in, in many places that we have... We have this inclination as human beings to deceive ourselves. 1 John 1.8 If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Galatians 6.3 If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jesus in his ministry often talked about the danger of hypocrisy, of being people who do one thing on the outside that may look great to other people, but on the inside, the inward motivations of people's hearts, uh, he says they're like ferocious wolves. What, what a strange thing. That we can deceive ourselves. That is really weird if you think about it. As human beings, ever since the first sin, we've been tying up fig leaves to cover over parts of ourselves, to hide ourselves from one another and from ourselves and trying to hide from God. And the Bible tells us that we're, we're such good deceivers, such masters at deceiving that we can even deceive our own selves. Uh, believe things about ourselves that if we actually intently looked at ourselves, we would have to admit that they weren't true. And and so there's this deep 
need for us as we follow Jesus to be willing to take this journey to know ourselves, to examine ourselves, to be aware of ourselves. There's this call to this inner journey to know ourselves, and Christian writers, writers throughout history have talked about this. Uh, St. Augustine in the 4th century, oh, I skipped it, uh, he says, men go abroad to admire the heights of mountains, the mighty waves of the sea, the broad tides of rivers, and the compass of the ocean, and the circuits of the stars, yet pass over the mystery of themselves without a thought. Uh, John Calvin, a uh, about a thousand years after Augustine, little 1,200 years, said, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. All wisdom consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. And more recently, A.W. Tozer, hardly anything else reveals so well the fear and uncertainty among men as the length to which they will go to hide their true selves from each other and even from their own eyes. Self-knowledge is so critically important to us in our pursuit of God and His righteousness that we lie under a heavy obligation to do immediately whatever is necessary to remove the disguise and permit our real selves to be known. Only the man who knows he is sick will go to a physician. We need to be willing to take the inner journey to know ourselves. And I just want to say at the beginning what this is not about. Um, this is not about you doing you. This is not about um, doing whatever feels good in your life because that's who you are. This isn't about self-help. Um, what I'm talking about is a deep self-awareness. First, knowing who we are in Christ knowing who God says we are. And secondly, knowing and being honest about our own shortcomings, acknowledging and facing the reality of our sin, knowing and understanding the past wounds that our life that others inflicted on us, uh, knowing the ways that our own uh, addictions and sins stemmed from things that happened in our past, uh, the inner journey of self-awareness is learning to recognize our inner motivations for why we do the things that we do that can be very, very subtle and are usually very unknown to us. The inner journey is learning how to bring our whole selves to God. Not only our outward behaviors that we're very aware of, and we, we know that we fall, and we know that we did that thing yesterday, and we feel badly about it, and, and we've, we've learned the practice, I think, of confessing those things to God, or at least feeling guilty about them a lot, but also our inner motivations and our inner thoughts and our emotions, that those are also to be brought before God. Every single part of us, from our behavior down to the very inner motivations of our hearts, the thoughts that no one else knows that we think, all of us, every part of us, needs the healing work of the gospel. And the inner journey of knowing ourselves is one of the most difficult and one of the most harrowing parts of our life of following Jesus. But it is required if we are going to experience the healing in the deep places of our soul that God wants to do in us. So one of the four characteristics of our church is that we are a, a healing community. 
at Broadway, we are growing into more and more to be a healing community. And throughout our church, our history, our church has been a healing community. God, it seems, brings hurting people to our church. And, and we do have this conviction that, that we have been placed here in this particular place. And we've been sent by God to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to go to people who are hurting and who need healing and who are poor and who are broken. And that impulse that we have at Broadway to go, to be sent to those who are hurting, is one of the great characteristics of the church. And I love being a part of a church like this. I love getting to lead a church that understands this this spirit-driven impulse to go to people who are hurting. But friends, please hear me. This is really important for us to hear. If we are going to continue to be a healing community and to grow deeper into that reality, it is essential for each of us to go on this inner journey of healing in our own lives. And the reason is, well, there's lots of reasons. Let me give you two of them. One of them is that Often our good works and our, our activism in the world, often that is a cover for not doing the hard inner work that God wants to do in us. It's a way to fill up our time, a way to fill up our energy. It's a way to fill up the things, uh, make us feel good for the things that we do for God in order to cover over this hurt in our lives. That's one reason. And I think that at Broadway, um, I think if we're honest, we're, we're, we can be in danger of that in all of our good activity. To not allow God to do the the inner work that he wants to do in each of us. The second reason is for the sake of those that we're going to. Uh, people, People who have scars, people who bear evidence of pain and trials in their life, they have a tremendous capacity to be a healing presence to other people. People who have gone through painful trials, who have wounds that have been attended to, have been mended and healed, people who bear scars, they have this great capacity to have this compassion for other people and to move uh, towards other people because of the compassion they've experienced to Christ. They're able to then pass that on to others. But what is also true is that wounded people wound people. People who have emotional and spiritual wounds that have not been attended to, people who have not addressed their woundedness, people who just work and work and work and act and act and act, not out of a place of knowing who they are and the healing that God has brought into their life, but as a way to cover over all of that, they have a tendency to hurt and to wound people with their words and their actions. And friends, God has made us a healing community here at Broadway. And I believe he wants us to move deeper into this reality. But if we're going to continue to walk in it over the long haul, and if we're going to do that in a healthy way, each of us need to be willing to take this very painful and harrowing journey inward to know ourselves, to see ourselves for who we are, and to not only repent from our sinful outward behaviors, of course, but to acknowledge and repent from our sinful motivations. And also to be willing to face the pain in our lives, the wounds that have been inflicted on us by other people and the wounds that we have inflicted on other people, to see those things and to walk with God through that pain in our life. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So, you know, just hold on to your seats. We'll see how it goes. 
Turn to James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27. It's the passage we're going to look at today. James chapter 1. James writes this. Do not merely listen to the word, and so, here it is again, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. But religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James tells us here that what's going on is, is, is to make sure that... Um, that what's going on out here in our behavior matches what's going on in here. Uh, James, James's words uh, reflect Jesus's teachings about uh, hearing the word, the teachings of Jesus, and putting them into practice. We are called to be a people who who love God and who love our neighbor from the inside out. And twice in these verses, we hear the warning about this capacity that we have as human beings to deceive ourselves. And so James gives us the image of a mirror, a mirror that a man looks at as a way to to, to make sure that we are looking at ourselves in a right way and not deceiving ourselves. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Mirrors always tell the truth, right? Even if it's truth that we don't like to hear or don't like to see. And the question that I think that James is posing for us in this section is, are we willing to look in the mirror and agree with what it says, even if we don't like what it says? Are we willing? Bless you. That was for real. Are we willing to look in the mirror and agree with what it says, whether we like it or not. I want to focus on this, this one phrase that James uses, that the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, he will be blessed in what he does. The perfect law is the mirror. And the perfect law is God's word about who you are. The perfect law that brings freedom is God's word about who you are. Our identity that God gave to us. Our true identity as followers of Jesus is not something that we make by our own efforts here on earth. It's something that is given to us from heaven. And our first step in knowing ourselves is knowing the perfect law knowing who God says that we are. Looking into that perfect law brings freedom because it tells us who God says we are. And I want to suggest that there are three core truths 
about who God says that we are that brings freedom. I could probably come up with a hundred, and some of you are going to say, what about this truth about what God says we are? All of them are true, but I think if we knew these three, if we knew these three things, we would truly be set free. First, the perfect law, God's word about who you are is this. We are made in God's image. There is something in you that reflects God in a way that no one else does. Your life is not an accident. You are made by God to reflect his image to the world. You have unique gifts to offer to the world that come from the creative hand of God. You are made in God's image. Secondly, you are loved by the Father. The perfect law says that you are loved by the Father. God has chosen to make himself known to you as Abba, Father. And he loved you, friends, before you did anything for him. He loved you before you did any good works, and he doesn't love you more or less because of what you do or don't do. Abba, Father, he loves you. And his love for you does not waver or change or grow bigger or grow less because of what we do or we don't do. He loves you. This is the perfect law, a mirror held up to you. He loves you. You are loved by God. Third, Jesus was willing to die for you. There was a sacrifice made for your life. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Even when you were far from God, an enemy from God, Christ died for you. Before you did anything good for God, Jesus was willing to die for you. Knowing ourselves truly, looking intently in the mirror, begins with knowing who God says that we are. You are made in God's image. You are loved by the Father, and Jesus was willing to die for you. And when we come to know these truths, know in our knower, Catherine, about who God says that we are, when we look at this aspect of the perfect law of God, it brings liberty. It brings freedom, knowing these three things. If if these three things are true about me, does anything really matter at all other than this? Everything else is secondary. What that person said about me, what she did to me, what that person thinks about me, if these things are true, all of those other things get put in their proper perspective. And and of course, the blows of this world sting. We can never be fully like invincible against the things that do against us. Even Jesus was grieved by the betrayal of his friends. But if we knew, really knew, here and in here, these three things, there are no wounds that we can experience that cannot be healed by these three beautiful truths of God's perfect law. And to intently look into the perfect law that brings freedom is to know these things about God, about our Creator and our Redeemer, and about how He truly sees us And coming to know these things, really know them, brings so much joy. And these three truths, then, are where we must begin if we're going to take a closer look at the mirror. These truths give us courage 
to take the step of honesty with God about the things that we see in the mirror. Because when we look at God's word and this perfect law and these beautiful truths about our creator and our redeemer and what he's done for us, when we look at God's word, we know by it how far we have fallen short of living up to it. And when we look, when we really look at our actions and our thoughts and our motivations, when we look at our guilt, when we look at the ways that our sin has hurt and wounded other people, it can feel like death. To really see what we have done and the impact that that has had on our lives and the lives of others, it can be a soul-crushing experience. And so we don't do it. That's why we don't do it. It's incredibly painful to do. And so we don't look. We, we avoid looking at that mirror. And we live in continual and ongoing denial And we will live in continual and ongoing denial unless we know these three things. If we don't know these three things, we will never have the courage to take an honest look at our failures in the mirror. But if I know, if I know that I've been made in God's image, if I know that I'm deeply loved by the Father, if I know that the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient for me, then I don't have anything else to prove to anyone. And so I don't have to live in denial of my sin and my failures and shame any longer. I can be honest because of the perfect love of God, a perfect law of God that brings freedom. I can look inward and courageously and discover all of the ways that I fall short of this identity because I'm taking this journey inward together with God, not by myself. I'm taking it with him so that he can show me these areas of my life that need to be addressed because he wants my healing even more than I do. So I, I want to, to suggest to you two, two practices of looking into the mirror. Two practices of looking into the mirror. Be ugly honest and love repentance. We have to take an honest, brutally honest, ugly honest look at our life and admit our failures without any excuses. That last part's really important. Without any excuses. And when we do that, when we really do it, as I said, it feels, it feels like death. This process of really being honest about our sin, what we have done, what we did or said in secret, the way we've hurt others, our pride that no one else knows about, the jealousy that's in our heart, When we are ugly, honest about these things, it is humiliating. It feels like death, and it is a kind of death. It's a death to ourselves. It's a death to this image that we want to portray to the world about who we want them to think that we are. And being honest about those things is a crucifying of that portrayal, that image that we portray to the world. But if there's going to be any healing any transformation in your life, you have to look at it. You have to know it. 
and you have to be honest with yourself about it. Because we can't change anything that we're not aware of. We have to face our sin and see it and admit it in all of its evil or in all of its pettiness and to experience healing from it in the light of Christ. The light shines in the darkness. John says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. But it is possible to live our entire lives not allowing that light in to the places of our life where it most needs to shine. It's possible to block God's light out of there because we don't want him to see it. We don't want to see it ourselves. Because of our shame or because of our pride or because of fear of the consequences, we can live our whole lives deceiving others and ourselves and trying to deceive God and not allowing his light, his healing light, his perfect law light to come into our lives. And so... The first practice is to be very honest and to learn to love repentance, to admit these things and to turn from them, to be honest about them. The second thing is to face your pain with God. Our, our world and our lives are, are filled with all kinds of pain, filled with it. And God wants to meet us in our pain and bring his healing to the deep places of our soul where we've been hurt by other people or where we have suffered the consequences of simply living in a fallen world and suffering from that. God wants to meet us in the deep places of our pain. And sometimes I think we we short-circuit the work that God wants to do in us by applying God's truth in the wrong ways or applying them too soon. let, Let me tell you what I mean. I think many times we we face a tragedy or pain in our life, and we're very quick to say, this terrible thing happened to me, but God loves me. But God loves me. As if somehow that pain is disconnected from the love of God in your life. And so we, I think we kind of, you know, we're going along, and we, we experience pain and we say, but God loves me, and we kind of stop the deeper work that God wants to do. It's not that this terrible thing happened to me, but God loves me. It's this terrible thing that happened to me, and God loves me. And it's holding both of those things. It's seeing this terrible thing for what it is. Like the terrible consequences of a world that has gone wrong and that is evil and that is sinful. It's, it's seeing that thing for what it is and knowing that God wants to meet us there in that tragedy and to walk with us through the tragedy. And so this is one of my favorite punctuation marks. It's, it's the ampersand. And it means and. And so I just want you to get this image in your life, in, in your mind as you think about your pain. It's not these terrible things are happening to me, but God loves me. It's these terrible things have happened, and God loves me, and he wants to meet me there. In that deepest part. That deepest part of our hurt, not, not up here where we stop, but he wants to meet us in that deeper part of pain and know that he's there. He's there too. 
So part of the inner journey is learning to not avoid the pain of our lives, but to learn to walk through the pain with God. This inner journey, the journey of truly knowing ourselves, is one of the ways that we follow Jesus, and it's, it's a necessary journey to take if we're going to be healthy people who are a healing presence to others in the world. It's necessary to be people who move towards others with our scars rather than our open and unattended wounds, which are only going to wound other people. People with scars bring healing. Wounded people wound people. And James, I think, has this in mind in the next couple of verses. Verse 26 and 27. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. We use our tongues as a way to present ourselves to the world in the way that they want us, we want them to see us. And so we, we lie, we tell subtle exaggerations, we do little things in order to present our, the world in a particular way. And I think this is... I think this is what James is on about here. The person who's looked in the mirror and who forgets what he looks like is going to use his tongue in ways that are deceptive to other people and also to himself. And James says that a religion like that, a religion where we use our tongues in ways that are deceptive for other people and for ourselves, it's it's a worthless kind of religion. But verse 27 says that this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Healthy people who have looked in the mirror and who are facing the reality of themselves and allowing God's truth to be healing to that are people who, because they've experienced the healing and compassionate work of God, are, are moved from that place to meet people who are hurting, to, pe- to, to meet the, the, the orphans and the widows and to look after them in their distress. It's from that place of, of compassion that we are called to be sent into the world. Does that make sense? How one leads to the other. And I want to suggest to you that our our whole sermon series is following Jesus together. And and I want to say that no one knew himself better than Jesus. No one was more self-aware than Jesus. And I want to say to you that all of his work, uh, his overcoming of temptation, his miracles, all of those things, his death on the cross and his resurrection were possible because he knew who he was in the eyes of his father. And he lived from that identity. At his baptism, a voice from heaven declared, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Friends, that was at the very beginning of his ministry, before he had healed anyone, before the Sermon on the Mount, before his obedience to death on a cross, before any of that, the father said, This is my son whom I love and whom I am well pleased. And I think that if we were writing the story, or if Hollywood was writing the story, this would come at the end. After Jesus did all of these great things, and healed blind people, and healed deaf people, and made the lame walk, and performed all these amazing things, and went to the cross, and rose from the dead, after that, the Father would say, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
But that word, that identity was given from heaven to Jesus before he did any of those things. And that's where he lived out of his identity. And that's where he lived, uh, did his work from, was who his father said that he was. We have another passage in John chapter 13 that's it's really interesting. It's the, the night that Jesus was betrayed in John chapter 13. And um, he's, he's in the upper room with his, his disciples. And John tells us this. In John chapter 13 verse 2. It says, the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Then verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God. And he was returning to God. Verse 4, and so... He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet. He knew who the Father had made him to be. He knew that he had come from God and was returning to God so he could act in all humility in doing this dirty work of getting on his knees and washing his disciples' feet and then doing the dirtier work of taking up a Roman cross and dying on it for the sake of his disciples and for our sake. It's because he knew he was from God. He knew his identity before the Father. He knew who he was. He knew where he had come from and where he was going. And so I want to suggest to you that this inward journey of knowing ourselves is one of the necessary ways that we follow Jesus. Because Jesus knew himself and he knew his identity better than anyone who has ever lived. It was from that place of his identity that he was able to do the things that he did. I want to finish our time today by reading a prayer for you, over you. So if you would close your eyes, and I would like to ask for you to open your hands in your lap. And I would like to... I'm going to ask that this would be, for all of us, uh, a moment where we take the next step on our inner journey of knowing ourselves and knowing God. That maybe it's your first step. Maybe it's a step that you've you've been taking for a long time. Maybe it's a step that you are avoiding. You don't want to face the consequences or whatever it may be. Whatever the next step that you need to take in your own journey to know yourself. It's my prayer that this psalm would be a word that would speak to you and give you the power and the courage to take that next step, whatever it is. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know, Lord, when I sit 
and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Lord, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know these anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting.